Petri Wine brings you the casebook of Gregory Hood. Tonight, the Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to listen to the story of Gregory Hood's Suspect. Another exciting adventure from the casebook of Gregory Hood. And as for me right now, I'd like to suggest a delicious new dessert. Peaches in Petri California Muscatel Wine. Just imagine juicy, golden sweet peaches flavored by the wine that goes with them perfectly. Petri Muscatel. Sounds good, doesn't it? But you'll never know just how good till the first bite. Absolutely delicious and easy to prepare, too. You just drain the juice from canned peaches, cook the syrup till slightly thickened, mix with twice the amount of Petri Muscatel, pour over the peaches and chill for two hours. Just be sure you use Petri Muscatel. Because you know that Petri Muscatel is really special. A sweet, clear, golden wine with a full, rich flavor. It's really good. Try it tomorrow night for dessert. Peaches and Petri Muscatel. You can serve Petri Muscatel proudly because those five letters P-E-T-R-I spell the proudest name in the long history of fine wine. Petri. Once again, it's Monday night in San Francisco, and time for our weekly date with Gregory Hood and his friend and attorney, Sanderson Taylor. Tonight, Greg suggested we rendezvous at that gourmet's paradise, Emilio's on Powell Street. Let's join him now, shall we? Hello there, Harry. Good evening, Greg. How are you, Mr. Taylor? Fine, thank you, Harry. Oh, we just ordered a couple of sherries, Harry. Shall I make it three? It's well, Greg. I'd like one. I'll make that three, Mario. Yes, Mr. Hood. Well, Greg, how's about tonight's story? From the hint you gave us last week, it sounded like quite a yarn. It was, Harry. Though if Greg had listened to me, he'd never been mixed up in the mess. If I listened to you, Sandy, I'd keep out of a lot of trouble, I'm sure, but I'd probably die of boredom. (laughs) (laughs) In any case, I always was a sucker for beauty and distress. Uh... That's the way a good many stories of yours start, it seems to me. Oh, me? I'm just the poor man, Sir Walter Raleigh. <laughs> Who is this particular damsel in distress? A sultry brunette by the name of Daphne. Uh, Daphne Bloggs. Oh, now we'll skip the Bloggs, and it strikes a discordant <laughs> note. Uh, Daphne was a girl I'd known quite well when I was staying down in Burlingame a couple of summers ago. I lost track of her for a while, and then we ran into each other at the theater a few weeks ago. I was catching a performance of that swell play, The Hasty Heart. Oh, yeah. During intermission, I was getting some air when a voice behind me said... Hello, Greg. Daphne. How nice to see you again. Thanks, Greg. I saw you inside, so I thought I'd catch you at intermission and say hello. Oh, I'm glad you did. How about some supper after the performance tonight? Well, yes, I suppose so. Said she with violent enthusiasm. (laughs) Oh, what's wrong, Daphne? Where's that champagne sparkle you used to have? Haven't you been getting the proper vitamins lately? Greg's in trouble. Desperate trouble. I'm sorry, Daphne. What's wrong? I'm, I'm being blackmailed. Blackmailed? Greg, I'm... Now, let's step over here. Now, let's get the deal straight. Who's trying to blackmail you and what's his hold? Read this note. I found it pinned to the seat of my car when I started out tonight. Uh-huh. Plain manuscript paper typed in capitals. Blackmail as usual, bold approach. 
Uh, if you don't wish your father to have proof of last week's convenient car breakdown in Reno, bring $1,000 to the office of Jethro Bronson on Montgomery. If you don't tell the story, with photostatic copy be sent to your father. Dirty rats. Do you know this Jethro Bronson, Daphne? No, Greg, I've never heard of him. What's the true dope on this Reno story? Oh, it's all perfectly innocent. I was up there with Martin Johnson last Friday. Martin Johnson? He's married, isn't he? Of course. His wife's my best friend. She's in New York, and Martin and I thought it'd be fun to drive up to Reno for the day and do some gambling. I see. We started back late, and the car did break down. We couldn't get it fixed, and we had to spend the night in an auto court. But it was all perfectly innocent, Gray. Well, couldn't you explain that to your father? You remember, Dad. He's Victorian to the core. Oh, Yes, I seem to recall that he asked me my intentions the first time I called on you. Of course, I didn't tell him. He'd never understand. In any case, I've already lied to him simply because I knew he wouldn't believe the truth. I said I spent Friday night with a girlfriend, and he checked on that alibi. Of course, the girl backed me up. Now, if you did tell him the truth, he'd think the worst, huh? Of course he would. Greg, what am I going to do? I I can't go to the police because they go straight to Dad certainly can't raise a thousand dollars. Well, even if you could, darling, I wouldn't let you hand it over. Then what can I do? Uncle Greg will take care of it. First of all, let's go back and see the rest of the show. After that, we'll go out to supper, and I'll make a phone call. Now, Greg, please be careful what you say. Now, don't worry, Daphne. I'm going to call Sandy Taylor. He's my pal and a very smart attorney, and discretion is his middle name. I think this is a case where we don't make any move without taking legal advice. but I've no intention of letting her make any payment. She hasn't a dough in any case. Sandy, have you ever heard of this guy, Jethro Brunson? Never. I looked him up in the phone. Oh? He's got offices on Montgomery Street, all right. Well, I think I'll call on him in the morning as Daphne's representative. Eh, better let me go, Greg. I can handle it. Oh, but you're so doggone ethical, Sandy. With a rodent like this, a clip on the jaw could do a lot more good than throwing 20 books of law at him. Now, Sandy, I think I'll call on Mr. Jethro Brunson. Well, okay, Greg, but watch your step. Blackmailers usually know all the answers. I'll watch it, Sandy. But don't be surprised if you hear a squeal for help from Montgomery Street in the morning. I have a feeling I may land myself in a whole mess of trouble. I'm Miss Carter, Mr. Bronson's secretary, Mr. Hood. You have no appointment. No, Miss Carter, but I think if you tell him I'm a friend of Daphne Bloggs, he'll see me. Miss Daphne Bloggs. Just a moment, please. Bronson will see you, Mr. Hood. Oh, the name of Bloggs works miracles, doesn't it? Thank you, Miss Carter. You're welcome. Yeah, come and sit down, Mr. Hood. I'll walk around, thanks. You have quite an office, Mr. Bronson. Yeah, I'm so glad you like it. I do. I was admiring the chaste simplicity of your lettering on the outer door. Jethro Bronson. Nothing more. Is more necessary? You might have added abandoned hope or you didn't enter here or something equally appropriate. I don't think that I understand you, Mr. Hurd. Sure, you're just a bewildered businessman who can't understand a new client. Hey, you have a swell view of the day from here, as far as I can judge by peering through these dirty windows. <laughs> you're due for a cleaning, Mr. Hood. And so is Daphne Bloggs. I presume you represent her. I do. You brought the money? Ah, the businessman is confused no longer. 
No, Bronson, I didn't bring the money. I thought first I'd like to see the evidence. You can see a photostatic copy of it. Here. Oh. Bronson, you'd have to get on a stepladder to pass the time of day with a louse, wouldn't you? Very funny, Mr. Hood. You own these auto courts, Bronson? Yes. It was a profitable investment. I'll bet. Especially when you can fix up the registrations this way. You knew that Miss Blogg's father was a rich man, I suppose? Mr. Hood, I assure you I own, know all that's necessary about the family. When do I get the money? I'll give you a check now. A check? <laughs> oh, no, Hood. I'm no fool. I want cash, and I want unmarked bills of low denomination, and I'd like the cash today. Okay. I'll go over to the bank. Hood, I don't like the way you're fingering that paper knife of mine. Don't let its sharpness give you any stupid ideas. I have a revolver in this drawer, you know. Don't worry, Bronson. If I did anything to a rat like you, I wouldn't use a knife. I'd use... Yeah, why not? Keep away from me! <coughs> ah, that was a pleasure. Have a nice nap, Mr. Bronson. I'll be back in a flash with the cash. $1,000, Mr. Hood. You got the numbers on these bills, Barney? Yeah. <laughs> Up to some new trickery on one of your cases? Well, fairly old trickery, I'm afraid. Thanks. Just a minute. I'll let you out. Oh, you locked up? Yeah. You got in just under the wire. Well, Mr. Hood, good luck with your trick. Luck? Thanks. I have a hunch I may need it. Bronson again, Mr. Hood? I don't wish to, but I have to, Miss Carter. Senator Harrison is waiting to see him, too. Oh, well, I'll take my turn. How are you, Senator? Oh. I haven't seen you since that last get-together at the Bohemian Grove. Well, bless my soul, it's young Gregory Hood. Uh, how are you, my boy? Fine, thank you, sir. And what is the great politician doing here, may I ask? Or maybe I shouldn't. Uh, well, I, uh, I have certain business with this fellow Bronson. And what, may I ask, is this celebrated Gregory Hood doing here? Certain business also, Senator. Uh -huh. Oh, Mr. Hood, I I didn't realize you were the Gregory Hood. I'm flattered that you've heard of me, Miss Carter. Just the same, what's the chance of accelerating our interviews with Mr. Bronson? He is in, isn't he? Yes, he's talking on long distance. I'll see if he's through. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> Hood, uh, yeah? you've had dealings with this man Bronson before? No, Senator, this is my first unhappy experience. Well, he's an unmitigated scoundrel, Hood. I've often thought that I... What the devil? What's wrong, Miss Carter? Oh, get the police! The police! Now look here, young lady. What happened? It's Mr. Bronson. He's been murdered. The police are taking the devil's own time with their examination, Sergeant. Why don't they question us? I'm a busy man. I'm sorry, Senator, but there's nothing I can do. Well, who's in charge of this case, Sergeant? Lieutenant Magruder, Mr. Hood. Magruder? Huh? Well, that makes it tough for me. Where's Lieutenant Silvers? He's on vacation, Mr. Hood. Oh, then I am in trouble. It's a good thing I put in a call to Sandy Taylor. I may need a smart attorney. Okay, Miss Carter. Don't leave the office. 
Come in, Hood. Mm-hmm. Bob, Lieutenant, I'm a very busy man. Can't you take me first? No, Senator, you'll have to take your turn. Come on, Hood. Sit down. I find your old world charm irresistible. Thank you, Lieutenant. Hood, I've waited a long time to catch you out on a limb. Now I've done it. Why do you hate me so much, Magruder? Because you're an amateur dick who thinks he can make monkeys out of the police. We don't tell you how to run your business. Why do you make you submit yourself up with ours? I don't. Consciously, it mixes itself up with me. Is that a fact? Well, you're mixed up in this one, but good. Let me see your right hand. Oh, it's a little dirty with that. No. Hmm. Your knuckle skin. There's a bruise on the corpse's chin. You sucked him, didn't you, Hood? Yes, Sherlock, I did. Why? Because I didn't like him. Why were you here? We know he was a blackmailer. Though we could never pin anything on him. He have something on you? On me? No. Then you were stooging for somebody else. Who was it? I ain't talking, as they say, Magruder. Hmm? Well, you'll talk to the judge, Hood. Because I'm arresting you on suspicion of murder. Wow, that's very interesting. If you do that, Magruder, you'll end up with those tired arches of yours pounding a beat again. Skip the comedy, Hood. It won't get you off this spot. Oh, great. Sandy, I'm certainly glad to see you. Yeah, I got here as fast as I could, sir. Lieutenant Magruder, meet my attorney, Sanderson Taylor. You don't have to introduce us, Hood. Mr. Taylor and I know each other. Uh, yes, what goes, Gray? The lieutenant's got a vacancy for me in death row, I think. Mr. Taylor, I'm just about to arrest your friend on suspicion of murdering Jethro Bronson. What? On what evidence? He admits that he slugged the dead man. That doesn't prove murder, Lieutenant. But this paper knife does. Bronson was stabbed with it. I powdered it for fingerprints. Your prints are on it, Hood. I had them checked. This fast? Uh-huh. I've been looking forward to this day ever since that fisherman's wharf business. Oh. You really do have it in for me, don't you, Lieutenant? Grace, did you handle this knife? Sure I did, but I didn't stab the guy with it. Can I look at those prints on the knife, Lieutenant? No. But don't handle it. Don't worry. I won't mess up Exhibit A. I, uh... I'm going to arrest him, Mr. Taylor. If you do, Lieutenant, I'll have him out on a writ before you can spell habeas corpus. Well, that should give us several hours' start. Oh, very funny, Mr. Hood. But you're not going to laugh your way out of this one. Hey, Magruder, even though you hate me, I'd like to save your badge and your arsenic to book me on the evidence of these prints, Lieutenant. Sure. And I'd like to point out a small inconsistency. The faint old prints of Bronson's, I suppose. Yeah? And these two heavy new ones are mine? Sure they are. Fine. But there are only two prints. The thumbprint on the face of the handle, the forefinger print on the back. That's the way you hold a knife when you play with it, as I did, or when you open letters. But you couldn't possibly hold it that way in only two fingers to stab a man. Well, of course not. If you were stabbing a man, the prints of all the fingers would be on the handle. What do you say, Lieutenant? I, uh, I guess you're right. But why aren't there murderer's prints on here? I'd say the answer to that would be a pair of gloves. And if you want to make an issue of my prints being on the knife, I'll be very happy. It's perfect evidence that I didn't kill Jethro Bronson. Okay, Hood. You've talked yourself out of this one for a minute or two. But before this case is over, I'm warning you. This is going to be the last chapter in the case book of Gregory Hood. While Gregory Hood takes a brief time out from tonight's adventure, I'd like to remind you again about that swell Petri California Muscatel and Peaches. Petri Muscatel goes mighty well with peaches in most any form, such as peach cake, peach cookies, and peach shortcake. 
Yes, the wonderful flavor of Petri Muscatel really does something to desserts made with peaches. There are plenty of luscious canned peaches in the markets now. You can always get Petri Muscatel at your store, and in nearly every locality, your dealer will be glad to give you a little recipe folder which gives four wonderful ways to serve peaches with Petri Muscatel. Just be sure you buy Petri Muscatel, because all Petri wines are good wines. Greg, for a moment there, you had me worried. I thought my favorite amateur detective was going to be arrested for murder. <laughs> for a moment there, I had me worried. Yeah. <laughs> Lieutenant Magruder's a tough hombre, and Gregory Hood is very far from his favorite detective. But he let you go. Yes. And Sandy and I gravitated to the Prosperity Corner Bar and quickly went into a huddle. Oh, Greg, you're still under suspicion. We've got to clear you. Very true, Sandy. And the more I brood about the case, the more I incline to one opinion. Huh? And that is? Well, Sandy... Magruder told us what Miss Carter testified. Yes. She said that she talked to Bronson before he made the phone call. She came into the outer office where you and Senator Harrison were waiting. And the next time she went in, Bronson was dead. Exactly. Which would mean that if her testimony is true, that she's the only person who could have committed the murder. Unless, of course, an especially adroit seagull flew through his window and did the deed. If she did stab him, it wouldn't be hard to think of a motive. I've known people before who worked for blackmailers simply because their employer was blackmailing them, too. Sure, but if she were the killer, surely she'd dream up an alibi. Yeah. Maybe she saw you handling the knife and thought your fingerprints would pin the rap on you. Well, it's possible. Huh? Or it might have been Senator Harrison. It's pretty obvious that he wasn't there purely for a social call. Yes, Sandy, I can see the possibility of motive. It's the how of this killing that worries me. The dead man's office was on the ninth floor. Uh-huh. The only exit was through his door. Miss Carter saw him alive, walked outside to where the senator and I were waiting. She goes back a few minutes later, he's dead. Yeah. Well, the evidence would certainly point towards the secretary. Say, Greg, how's about the girl Daphne Bloggs? She'd uh, know as well as we do that Bronson's death would put her in the clear. That's a good murder motive in itself. Well, true, Sandy, but I repeat, how? Daphne's a very cunning girl, but she can't float through a window nine stories high. No, that's true. It looks like a blank wall, Greg, but... We've got to get around. Or over it. Well, Sandy, I think the next step is obvious. You're going to see the secretary, Miss Carter. Right. Huh? I have her address. She lives on Russian Hill. But I'm worried. Huh? What? I'm an ardent whodunit fan, and she's the obvious suspect by all the rules that can't be her. Oh, well, this is real life. Let's call on her and see what happens. <laughs> Mr. Hood, I'll be glad to help you any way I can. I thought you would be, Miss Carter. You see, my friend is still under suspicion by the police. I realize that, Mr. Taylor. And I must confess that if I hadn't known you were the Mr. Hood, I would have suspected you myself. Well, you wouldn't have been the only one in your suspicion. Miss Carter, uh, did you know that your employer's profession was blackmail? Blackmail? No, I, I certainly didn't. Though I did know he was crooked. A blackmailer. I wonder why Senator Harrison was there. Do you suppose Mr. Bronson had some hold over him and that the senator killed him? When did he have the opportunity? Oh, that's true. He never went past me, and there's no other door. He didn't even go in after you left the office. He and I watched each other like hawkshaws until the police arrived. You left the office, Miss Carter? Yes, Mr. Taylor. After I called the police, I... I was sick. What's your own theory, Miss Carter? Well, I, I didn't have one until I looked at this newspaper, Mr. Hood. Have you seen it? No. What ties in? Well, I started this on the back page. Huh? Oh, I may be imagining things, but it seems to me that it might connect. Hmm. What's it say, Greg? You're a very smart girl, Miss Carter. Listen to this, Sandy. 
A man was arrested in Montgomery Street late this afternoon. He claimed to have been doped, but the police are holding him on a vagrancy charge. Well, what does that have to do with Bronson's murder? Because it says here he was a professional window cleaner. Window? Well, I still don't see I do. Thing. Bronson said that his windows were due for a cleaning. You can see what happened. The murderer doped the window cleaner, borrowed his equipment, worked his way around the Bronson's window, went in and stabbed him, and then made his getaway. It's the only way an outside person could have gotten in. Then let's go and talk to the window cleaner, then. Sure, Sandy. He's in jail, and that's one place that I'm sure will have no difficulty in gate crashing. That's the way it was, Mr. Hood. I was standing in the corridor just filling my pipe, and I smell something sweet. Next thing I know, I'm down in the basement. Must have taken me down the service elevator. Sounds like chloroform, Sandy. Uh-huh. Yes, what time was this, Hank? Oh, I don't know. Middle of the afternoon, I guess. Well, don't you carry a watch? <laughs> no. My profession, it's too risky. Might fall down and break the bejeepers out of it. Occupational hazard. <laughs> yeah. Have you any idea what time it was, Hank? No, but it was sometime in the afternoon because I could hear a radio in one of the offices and they was given the race results. And they're always at the same time in the afternoon. How much of it did you hear? The announcer was starting to give the results of the fourth race, just as he named the horse. Uh, it was Lady Best. I heard that, and next thing I knew, I was waking up downstairs. Track broadcast swell, Hank. But you don't carry a watch, you've given me a dandy time check. Well, how do you mean, Ray? All I have to do is call the radio station. Hank was knocked out as the fourth race was announced. As soon as I know the time of that, I think we'll have the answer to murder. <laughs> Yeah? Yeah? Well, then the fourth race was announced at exactly 12 minutes past three. I'm much obliged to you. There's our time check, Sandy. Well, I, I don't get it, Greg. I think I... I do. This whole case revolves around time. The bank closes at three. How long do you suppose it took me to walk from there to Bronson's office? Well, it isn't more than a block. Uh, a couple of minutes? Just about, and maybe another minute in the elevator. I think this gives us the answer, Sandy. Let me make another phone call to Lieutenant Magruder, and then we'll go back to Miss Carter's apartment on Russian Hill. I think that's where we're going to get the final payoff. It was very nice of you to bring me a corsage, Mr. Hood. Well, I think you deserved one, Miss Carter. If you hadn't spotted that item about the window cleaner, this case might still be unsolved. They've arrested the murderer? Magruder's got a warrant out. Who is it? Sandy's an attorney. Let him lay it on the line for you. Well, this whole case revolves around the matter of time. Very true, Sandy. Go on. The killer, after drugging the window cleaner, had to take his belt, crawl out, and work his way around to Bronson's window. Now, we know that the window cleaner wasn't drugged until 12 minutes past 3. You established that fact when you called the radio station. Exactly, Sandy. So, if the window cleaner wasn't drugged until 12 minutes past 3, the murder couldn't have been committed before 3.15. That's the logical deduction, Sandy. And it's also where the whole case blows up. Uh, what? How do you mean, Mr. Hood? Miss Carter, it's a problem in primary mathematics. I got to my bank at closing time. I was let out a few moments later. It took me two minutes to walk to the office building, say another minute in the elevator. I was in the office with you not more than a minute before you went in and found the corpse. Well, I still don't understand, Mr. Hood. Well, I go over it again and you count on your fingers, Miss Carter. I left the bank at one minute past three, two minutes to walk to the office, a minute in the elevator... And a minute in the outer office would add up to four at the latest five minutes past three. And at five minutes past three, you went back in the office and he was dead. Yes, Greg, that's right. Uh-huh. But on the other hand, the window cleaner, who was to become our number one suspect, wasn't drugged until more than five minutes afterward. Afterwards? But why, Mr. Hood? 
Miss Carter, you make a pretty picture of innocence, but I don't know who you think you're fooling. What do you mean? The whole thing is obvious now. You killed Bronson. Then when the senator spoke to me, you realized I was the Mr. Hood, as you put it, so you know it wasn't safe to frame me. So she dreamed up the idea of drugging the window cleaner and then drew the fact to your attention. Sure, huh? Sandy. It was a neat idea, a very neat idea. If there hadn't been a cast iron time check on the whole deal. You're very quiet, Miss Carter. You said that Lieutenant Magruder had a warrant out. That was just to lead us into this conversation. Magruder wouldn't believe a word I say. But Lieutenant Silvers will be back soon. He'll believe me. You'll never talk to him. And your friend either. Uh, put that revolver away, Miss Carter. Surely one murder a day is enough. One or three, it doesn't make much difference, Mr. Taylor. Why did you kill Bronson? He was blackmailing me, too. What hold did he have on you? Well, my husband was overseas. I wasn't playing square. Oh, and Bronson found out, huh? Yes. And I only learned about it yesterday. So you stabbed him and then dreamed up the window cleaner gag. Yes. I knew that the windows were due to be cleaned today. And I suddenly saw how I could establish a perfect cover-up. It was a perfect cover-up, Miss Carter. If it weren't for the fact that we can establish the time element... Wait a minute, let me get this straight. You went into Bronson's office after I left. You found him where I knocked him out cold. You stabbed him. Then after you called the police when you said you were sick, you left the office and drugged the window cleaner, took him down in the service elevator, and hoped we'd fall for the idea that the murder had been committed by someone coming in through the window. Is that right? Yes, that's what I'd hoped. It's a pity you had to be so smart. I really don't want to shoot you, but I must. Uh, Miss Carter? It's the only way. Magruder! <laughs> Thank you. I'll take care of that gun. I came as soon as you called me, Hood. I didn't trust you, but I figured I might as well listen. I came up on the fire escape. Nice of the young lady to leave her window open. Well, McGrudy, I have your confession. And also, I hope you realize that you've got a nasty, suspicious mind where I'm concerned. Okay, Hood. You were right. This time. And I don't mind getting at the rights of a case. Even if an amateur has to help me. <laughs> but one of these days, you're going to start something you can't finish. I hope not, Lieutenant, but it's possible. You're darn right it is. And when that happens, it's my last prayer every night that I'll be the cop on that case. <laughs> What a story. What a story. But say, Greg. Yes, Harry. I'm more convinced than ever that uh, Magruder just doesn't like you. Why, that couldn't be. Oh, no? Why, he's very solicitous about my health. Seems determined that someday I'm going to take a long rest at San Quentin. Possible. Magruder doesn't think so. No, I mean impossible because then who'd toss me those wonderful cues to give out about Petri wine? Well, fella, you tossed yourself that one. But carry on. <laughs> you bet, Greg. Especially today. Because there's something new about Petri. You know, the Petri family has been making fine wines for generations now. It's a heritage passed down from father to son, from father to son. And now, this art in winemaking has made possible the crowning achievement of the Petri family. For at last, Angelo Petri himself has developed a wine so superb, it stands out among the truly great wines of America. Yes, that great winemaker, Angelo Petri, has done what every maker of fine wines hopes to do. He has created a wine to which he can proudly put his own signature. Angelo Petri's signature bottle wine from California. What a wine. Words can't describe its wonderful fragrance and taste. I can only tell you that if you're hard to please about wine, 
This is the wine for you. Ask your dealer if he's received his allotment of Angelo Petri. Angelo Petri signature bottle wine is available only in limited quantities. But if you find it, you'll enjoy the finest wine of a famous winemaker, Angelo Petri. Well, Greg, which story out of your case book are you planning to tell us next week? An adventure that took place under the big top of the San Francisco circus a few months ago, Harry. The story tells of a very colorful girl who trained snow leopards and of a sad clown whose first smile proved to be a smile of death. See you next Monday, Harry. Book of Gregory Hood is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher. Original music composed and played by Dean Fossler. Elliot Lewis plays the part of Gregory Hood, and Sanderson Taylor is played by Howard McNear. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. The casebook of Gregory Hood comes to you from our Hollywood studio. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petri family. For a solid hour of exciting mystery dramas, listen every Monday on most of these same stations at 8 o'clock to Michael Shane, followed immediately by the casebook of Gregory Hood. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.